Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It feels good, man. It feels good, right? Welcome back to Small Market Bias. My name is Matthew Tynan, and uh, friends, it has been a while, and I just wanted to say thank you for uh, for your patience, and I also wanted to acknowledge those of you who reached out and asked about the pod and and sent the well sent well wishes and telling me you guys that we need to come back. And honestly, uh, it means a lot that people care about this. So again. Apologies for the big gap, but we're back and we're back up and running on a on a regular schedule. So fear not. We will be providing you with um Spurs coverage, Spurs analysis, Spurs insight and all the other goofy stuff that we get into along the way. I am joined by Trevor Zitgraf who uh at this point probably more than a month ago I told you you were <laughs> you were up next uh cuz yeah. Bruno was the last guy on the pod, so I say the same thing to you, man. Thank you for waiting, and thank you for joining the show today. Listen, the season is a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, so you That's are right. a you are a one man band when it comes to uh, corporate knowledge and this podcast. So uh, yeah, I you know I, I think if something crazy had happened at the trade deadline or anything yeah. else crazy had happened, you would have been back on sooner. But they didn't give us much to talk about. Um, you, you didn't you you know I was thinking about ringing y'all up getting a three man pod together for Doug McDermott for a second round pick. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, don't forget Marcus Morris. What, oh yeah, almost, almost spur Marcus Morris twice now. Uh, that's actually I guess he's a, a technically pretty, a spur right now. He's technically a spur. I doubt he'll ever see action. We've kind of joked in the DMs like it would be really funny if the Spurs did something to get back at him for for yeah. him <laughs> screwing them over years ago, like. They hang on to him until it's too late for him to play, join a playoff team. <laughs> and then they cut him like something super petty like that. They would never do that. But I think it would be funny. Yeah. Uh, I do but think yeah. it would be funny if they assigned him to Austin. E- even if like there's no <laughs> expectation that he was going to show up. Just like <laughs> just send him down there. or something like that. Yeah. Just permanently assign him to Austin. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be good. It, I would be I would be entertained. If they uh, decided to be petty, but I don't think that's really in their nature, um, yeah. which is, you know, the right thing to do as as, you know, solid professional human beings. But I think the alternative would be a lot more entertaining. Yes. <laughs> OK, OK. Before we get into this, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about Victor Wembanyama uh, and the potential I mean, Victor Wembanyama in general, but really we're going to kind of focus on like the chances of him winning defensive player of the year, especially after a 10 block game, 10 block triple double the other night. Um, we're going to sort of look at the last two games and just the how it illustrates in a sort of a microcosm of the season play really well one night and like crap the next. Um, and then look, man, there's been a lot of Trey Young discussion with as and connecting it to the Spurs, and so I think it's worth talking about, and and we will get into that. Howard Beck actually wrote in an article yesterday that he had heard, uh, or that an executive told him that that there was dialogue between they the Spurs and talked. the Hawks regarding Trey Young in his article yesterday. That was crazy. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I know. Uh, didn't either. But before we do that, 
Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. The game starts here. Okay. Since we are going to talk about the Victor Wimbanyama uh, Defensive Player of the Year thing, which I thought at the beginning of the year, especially when he got off to the kind of the start that he did blocking shots, you're like, oh my God, uh, this guy is complete. And we knew it coming in. Like that was the, the one thing that we knew before he even stepped foot on an NBA court, that this guy was going to change the geometry of the floor. Like he was just going to impact everything that an offense did. And so far yep. we're clearly seeing that. So Trevor, in the spirit of gambling, and betting and bet online. We've already talked a little bit. We know that Rudy Gobert is the rightful favorite to win the award, and he's a pretty yeah. heavy favorite. He's minus 800 to win the award. Minnesota's the, the number one team in the West. Their defense is great when he's on the court. It's Rudy Gobert. He's won this thing multiple times already. And so he sits atop the throne. I would like for you, if you, if, if you so choose to do, or choose to do so go in order from Rudy Gobert and I want to see how many guys and if and I'll, I'll just I'll say this bet online has seven players listed uh in their defensive player of the year odds only seven it's Rudy Gobert and I'm gonna scramble these because you're I want you to put them in order okay Rudy Gobert's number one we've already established that there's Bam Adebayo Jared Allen Victor Wembanyama. Chet Holmgren, Anthony Davis, and Derek White. You got that? Hey, Derek White. Little Derek, White. Derek White. Your favorite. I want to see, I, I want to know, see how 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 many guys you can get in a row. Starting with Rudy Gobert at the top. Before we do that, Matt, okay. uh, just to remind me that I have a Derek White note when we get to I feel like the, you always have a Derek after, White note. After the break. Remind me after the break that I have a Derek White comment. Okay. Um, okay. You mean like before we start the Trey Young conversation, yes, after the or mid- during the Trey Young conversation. Uh, okay, okay, so okay. so Rudy, Rudy first. I'm gonna say uh, star power and blah blah blah. Anthony Davis second. Nope. Whoa. Okay. Uh, Bam second. Nope. Jared Allen. Yep. Okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. So Rudy Gobert, Jared Allen. One after two. the last month. Sure. Okay. Then I'm gonna say Davis. Nope. Oh my God. Uh, Derek White. Nope. <laughs> Chet. Chet is technically three, but there wow. is a tie at three. With Anthony Davis. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we have Rudy. We have Jared Allen. We have. I'm gonna get this out of the way because Chet. you keep naming. Is it Wemby? Is Wemby third now? Yes, he's tied with Chet. I'm gonna wow. just get this out of the way because you keep naming Anthony Davis. He's last. <laughs> on the list wow okay yeah so now okay. so now you've got you've got rudy gobert jared allen victor Wembanyama, chet holmgren and now it's so the, between bam Adebayo and Derek white so i'll go bam Derek davis you got it okay okay 
we made wow, it. I we did not it. realize. I did not realize that the rookies were that high up in that list. I wouldn't have guessed well, they, that. They've both jumped a lot recently. Yeah, okay. Um. So yeah, the list is Rudy Gobert, Jared Allen, Victor Wembanyama, Chet Holmgren are tied. Bam Adebayo, Derek White, and Anthony Davis. And you know, uh, I just have it in my mind that every year Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis declare themselves Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, th- sure. Through multiple points of the season, and I feel like the media is just like, yes, of course they are. Um. <laughs> so I just. I don't know why I just had, maybe I just had that in my head, media bias in my head. Well, I mean, there's obviously media bias around Anthony Davis for sure. That's LA bias. He did have six blocks the other, like Anthony well, Davis, when he's locked in, he's a great defender. He's, so he's been so healthy is this year too. Like that's, you know, a Davis knock is always like, he might have it going, but then he, he gets hurt and then right. it just knocks him out. And then everybody just kind of forgets about him. Cause he's out for a month. Right. And then he like reemerges and he yeah. has one of those stretches where, like LeBron has to sit for a week or two and yeah. he just goes crazy. It's like, oh, look, here's Anthony Davis. Like, here's the the real, like, number one guy on a team, Anthony Davis. Um, but so anyway, maybe he needs that. Maybe he needs LeBron to be like out for three weeks in March. Well, um, I mean, that's what happened last year. He there was a I forget how long, like uh LeBron was out for a while mm-hmm. at the latter stages of the season, and Anthony Davis was incredible. Like he yep. was putting up gigantic numbers, but anyway, I digress. We're here to talk about Victor Wimbanyama um, and the idea of like, should he be in like your top three defensive player of the year finalists? Because, and the big argument there, right, is how much does record count? How much do, you know, how much, when you look at Minnesota, we already talked about it a little bit, but like Rudy Gobert is on the number one team in the Western Conference. Right. And, you know, the Spurs are sitting way down at the bottom. So should this be, what do you look at? I guess I should say, what what should you prioritize when you're looking at this award? It's, it's a little bit more record dependent, I think team dependent than say like most improved player or rookie of the year. But where do you stand on that whole conversation with defensive player of the year? Um, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess I was going to, I would say that, like, I think it's pretty easy to get, sometimes it is easy to get fooled by counting stats, like blocks and steals. Yeah. Um, but you and I were talking before we hit record that, like, Victor's on and off numbers are, like, really good. I mean, really, really good. Um, and so, I, as I say this, I'm just trying to look up... Um, Last year's okay, so last year defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson, Memphis was good last year. Um, Brooke Lopez, Milwaukee was obviously very good. Evan Mobley was third, mm-hmm. um, and Cleveland was a four seed last year. So, but as I'm looking down this list, like they were all except for Chicago, Alex Caruso, everybody mm-hmm. on here was a uh, was was on a winning team. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry, and uh, and OG Ananobi was sixth. So Toronto. Okay. So uh, in the top 10, eight of the 10 guys were from winning teams, what you would nominally say is good defensive teams. Um, so that's a good question because I feel like, Matt, we have not seen this in a while. Like a guy who is who comes in and is so good on defense, and it's obvious that he's so good on defense. Like guys literally come into the lane and then like U-turn, like – action stunt car style like u-turn when they see him take a step towards them and go back out of the lane well you even saw like the other night uh grady dick 
was driving to the basket. He felt Wimbanyama like hovering mm-hmm. behind him and he airballed a layup. He literally yeah. like left it short of the rim. It fell down. He caught it, turned and tried to shoot. And Wimbanyama got his 10th block on that play. But yeah, what a, just... what a gift that one was. Oh, I know. And, and, but it's like the stuff that you see these guys throw up. Uh, yeah. Like you said, the fact they'll do a complete turnaround or they'll or they'll just stop under the rim and yeah. and just look for the, the nearest outlet or the most open outlet. Uh, it's sort of insane how impactful he is. But then again, you think about it, you what just just watch him seven five with shoes on at least and yeah. an eight foot wingspan. He can, if he stands on his tippy toes, he can grab the rim. Like the guy's just, it, it's, I can't even imagine trying to score a basket around him. Like you see dudes who are, you saw him uh, swat Scotty Barnes on back-to-back shots the other night. And, mm-hmm. and Scotty Barnes is 6'9". Like yeah. think about it if you're a guard and you get in there. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about those those two games in in a bit, but I think one of the better ways to measure impact from a defensive perspective is the, is on off stuff. Like how mm-hmm. much better is mm-hmm. a team when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor and per cleaning the glass, uh, he is, which great website uh, breaks down things pretty simply. If, if you guys aren't familiar, cleaning the glass.com um, he, the, the defense is nearly 10 points per possession better meaning allowing 10 points fewer per 100 possessions when he's on the court versus when he's off. And just for comparison's sake, Rudy Gobert, the guy who's Mm -hmm. the leader in the clubhouse for the award, when he's on the court versus when he's off, the Timberwolves are allowing five points fewer per 100 possessions. So Wemby, 10 points. Rudy Gobert, five points. Now, a lot of that has to do with the, with the teams, like the, the wolves are deeper. Their bench is better defensively. The Spurs bench is just really bad defensively. Um, you know, if, if they didn't have Victor Wembanyama on this team, they would probably be flirting with another record setting, uh, worst defensive rating of all time. Like there's a really good chance that that would be the possibility. Well, and also like, uh, Another thing we were talking about before we started recording, it's like the second Wimby goes out, like teams are just like, and, and I don't even think this has, this has less to do with Zach Collins and the fact that Zach Collins is not Victor Wimpanyama. Right. Teams immediately go back to, all right, now we can attack the basket. We can attack the basket. Like it's okay to try to get a layup over this seven, like Zach Collins is still a seven foot tall yeah. dude. And teams are just like, it's, it is amazing how much he changes team's games plan game plan well, already the other and you can thing, see it the other thing that's interesting to me and you know some of the stuff that we see like last night uh we're recording this by the, and this it'll be out the same day but we're recording this thursday uh against the mavericks there was a play where Wembenyama was trailing uh luka Doncic, and mm-hmm. you know how luka does his slow down thing you don't know if he's gonna float it or lob it he's right. just incredible in that in that short mid-range area but Victor Wembanyama is trailing Luca. Luca feels him, slows down, and throws the lob up to. I think it was Gafford. I think it was Gafford. Probably. And Wembanyama, while the ball is in the air, from probably twelve feet away, twelve to fourteen feet away, chases the ball down and gets to the block before Gafford can finish at the rim. And he's a powerful dunker. Yeah. But 
Wembenyama has an ability to both challenge the short mid range and recover for the lob. Mm-hmm. That's and and on the flip side, he has the ability to challenge a shot, and if it hits the rim, he can still go get the rebound. Yep. Whereas mere mortals like Zach Collins, and one of the reasons teams really go attack him is because they know he's going to challenge, and he's not like he's not a great shot blocker, but he's not really he's not a bad rim protector he's mm-hmm. he gets in the way he gets vertical he's not a bad rim protector but the yeah. big problem when he's on the court is that once he commits and the ball gets up to the rim or they try to lob it he can't recover nope. most most players in the nba cannot do what victor Wembanyama does in those situations so like when the spurs have their second unit on the floor they're also really small so teams yep. are like crashing the glass. If they 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 attack Zach Collins, they know he's going to come commit. He has mm-hmm. to, or it's an easy layup, and the ball's going to hit the rim, and someone's going to come up on the other side and grab it. And the Spurs are not great at rotating, filling in on the backside, and grabbing those defensive rebounds once the big has committed. But Victor Wembanyama can literally stop all of that stuff on his own like of course he's susceptible uh here and there like he's not going to do that every single time teams are gonna are gonna get past him it's just inevitable um especially as he learns positioning and timing and like all these guys little little idiosyncrasies and and different moves but he's a he's a one-man wrecking crew on the defensive side of the ball and to the point where like we haven't really seen anything like this in maybe ever just because of his length and mobility like there have Mm -hmm. been incredible shot blockers uh over the years but and even like really tall dudes seven three seven four guys but the mobility that he has and the 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 sort of otherworldly ability to like flip hands block with either hand uh even like no look block like the feel that he has for and the feel that he has the coordination that he has is unmatched like i've never I, in my lifetime at least i've never seen anything like it it's like if dwight howard or david robinson i mean they were more explosive than victor but like it's like if they had like two or three more inches or their wingspans were a little bit longer like those are like the only two guys i can remember who who can like like hakeem be that, be that disruptive hakeem, H- yeah obviously yeah yeah, hakeem. yeah um and you know the only other thing it reminds me of like the play that you were describing last night uh, I remember the 2021 finals, uh, Devin Booker uh, was going at Giannis and he had a lob. He had Aiton on a lob and it looked like for sure it was the end of, I believe, game four and Aiton lobbed it up, or I'm sorry, Booker lobbed it up to Aiton and it looked like Giannis got caught in the middle and then somehow Giannis turned around and he recovered in time to block that alley-oop, which was <laughs> like for sure a dunk and it wasn't going to be like, a DeAndre Ayton uh, layup uh, as he's prone to do. It was going to be like, it was going to be an actual dunk. And uh, Giannis somehow recovered to block it. And I was like, oh my God, I've never seen that before. And I've seen Wemby do that at least two times this year. At least oh, yeah. two times this year. He's done it at least a couple times. And oh, I was yeah. just like, oh my God. He, uh, the first time he said it, I was like, oh my God, he did the Giannis. I, I didn't think anybody was going to be doing that on the regular. He He just, he does things that like don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, I was mentioning like 
I forget who it was against, but you, I talk about like the no look blocks where he's mm-hmm. like challenging a shot that's in front of him with his left hand. The ball goes up and he's just kind of tracking it. And, it, and it's like it's like his hand. It's like there's a magnet between his hand and the ball. Yeah. And he's just following it all the way to the guy's hands. And once it gets there, he just puts it away. It's it's really incredible to watch him do this stuff. Uh, I hey, mentioned. Me, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, let me ask you this. So uh, yeah. all defense now is positionless. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be on that team. I was gonna say, do you think he's going to make one of the two all defensive teams? Like it feels like he should at this point. I, I, I don't I, I would actually be shocked if he didn't. Like if he's like top name, seven, you can't name, you cannot name five better defenders in the NBA than him right now. And I like, I feel like or more impactful um, defenders. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, you, you know, last year, if he's a center and Chet's a center, and obviously Rudy's a center, so Rudy's the first team center. I I feel like uh, voters would want to reward Chet for being on a winning team, maybe. Uh, and so, and and not saying that Chet's not deserving. Chet's been incredible. Um, but you know, like if that would be like the deciding factor this year. It doesn't have to be, I can't imagine he doesn't make at least all NBA second team this year. Oh, all NBA or all defense. I'm sorry. All defense. All all defense. De- okay. Okay. I mean, the all NBA thing isn't like totally out of the question, uh, but no, no, they, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. Um, that that's, that's definitely one of those, you know, recognitions that, yes. that recognizes uh, wins. But I briefly, like we mentioned a little bit about, the Toronto game the other night, we've talked about the Mavs game the other night. I wanted to sort of discuss how the, those two games are like a microcosm of the season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the look, they look good one night, terrible the next night, even though Wembenyama against the Mavericks, like got off on a heater. Uh, sure did. looked like, looked like he was going to do the Toronto thing all over again. But what were, I don't know. What were the, your, your, I thought Toronto looked like crap. I was, Mm -hmm. I've actually been out of town. I was visiting my, my parents for my mom's birthday and I was watching the, the Matt, actually both games with them this week. Happy, happy birthday, Mrs. Tynan. Yeah, that's right. Happy birthday, mom. Um, and it was funny because they were loving every second of the Raptors game. Obviously my parents aren't really sports fans. They're Spurs Mm -hmm. fans. They're not sports fans. Um, but my dad, Last night, uh, as we were watching the Mavs game, and it was just brick after brick after brick after brick, and Kyrie Irving was making everything he put up. Like, he was a magician in that game. And my dad was like, I can't watch this anymore. It's like third quarter. He kind of goes off playing with the dog, like, you know, just doing doing stuff around the house. Um, And it, it, it made me laugh because it was like, this is the... Both the he and he asked me, he asked me, why did why does this happen? Like, why do they why do they look so crappy? I swear they're good one night. They're just Mm -hmm. crap the next. It's like, well. Two things. They're the youngest team in the league and straight up they are at a talent deficit on most nights outside of Victor Wimbanyama. So when you see these kind of games and you see this this total imbalance it's you you want to look at him at him and say like what's the difference between from one night to the next and i don't know i think there are a couple of things to point out but i want to start with you like did you 
what was to you other than level of competition? Because obviously Luca and Kyrie are great, but like, what was the biggest difference to you between the Raptors game and the Mavs game? Um, well, I felt like in, I'd have to double check, but Toronto, I felt like they kept hitting shots. And I know you've said that before, like when they hit their threes, like they're a competent basketball, like at, at the very least, they're a competent basketball team. I think they hit, I, I thought it was higher than this that night. Uh, then again, like they kind of tailed off a little bit at the end, yeah. but uh, they, they shot like 37 or 38% from three, which is good, but they weren't yeah. like scorching hot. Yeah. So I think it helps when, uh, obviously it helps when they hit their threes, but they're not a very good three point shooting team. So like, right. But you know. Um, but I also, I think when those shots aren't falling, they really don't have anybody, um, aside from Victor, depending on who he's matched up against, who can just like stop the bleeding and go get some baskets. Like if the ball movement stuff's not working, they don't have anyone like Keldon tries, Keldon tries to just bulldoze his way to the basket. Um, I don't, I just don't think Vassell, I don't know if Vassell ever gets there. He's not there yet. He, he might, like, I, I think there's. That's that's certainly a debate to have. Like, what's what's year six Devin Vassell look like? What's year seven yeah. Devin Vassell look like? But he's not there yet. Um, and, you know, Trey Jones is just, like, a little too small. Like, he's pretty good to get into the basket, but he's just too small. So I think you're right. It's a talent deficit thing. And it's like an individual scoring talent deficit thing for me. Like, there's just nobody to just say, you know, like, we got to get some points on the board. We, you know, it's so we can get our defense set on the other end. And we can stop getting killed in transition. I don't think they're very good in transition either. I think it's the defense, the transition defense isn't very good. You know, the thing about Vassell and that I, I find interesting, like he's actually been looking better and better in over the last couple of weeks. Like you can see him making a more concerted effort to get to the rim. It's still not probably where you, he's very much a, set up his drive with mm -hmm. the three-point shot. If the mm -hmm. three-point shot or the pull-up isn't falling, it's a lot more difficult for him to get to the rim because he's not this really bursty athlete. He has to use his shot to create, to leverage opportunities, um, or leverage his shot to create opportunities to get to the rim. Yeah. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me with Devin is a lot of his big production comes in like double digit situations where yeah. the where where the lead whether they have the lead or whether the other team has the lead uh they come in in not so high leverage situations last night i was really curious to see once the the mavericks started coming back wemby had to leave the game in the middle of the second quarter i was like okay this is devin has to do something here Mm -hmm. Keldon clearly doesn't have it tonight. Something was just off with him. He wasn't even trying to get to the rim last. He was, and I know it's kind of the way the, the Mavs were playing defense and he was getting good looks from the outside. Like you got to take him, but he right. was just off. Like something was just off with Keldon last night. Um, but between, but if one of those guys is not scoring or, or assisting with others, like the other guy has to pick up the slack and between them, I think they made five shots last night. I think they were, uh, like Keldon five was one, Keldon was one for 11, one for, five for 27 three. combined. I think. Yep. Devin was four for 16, one for four from three. And yeah. that's also three combined free throw attempts. Yeah. That's like, that can't happen. Yeah. Um, I, I think the thing with, with Devin 
And I, I do think he's making progress, but you want to see him do this stuff in tight games. I know the Spurs aren't in a lot of tight games, like at a certain point in, in, in the night, like the lead yeah. is, you know, they're, they're usually dropping slowly behind and not quite able to catch up, but it's those kind of moments with young teams, young players, dudes who are, mm-hmm. are, are, have this responsibility that they haven't really had before. It's, it's expected like those are yeah. those are the challenges of growing up in the NBA, but I I thought that the interesting thing like Toronto didn't have the Spurs played great defense against Toronto, and I thought they mm-hmm. opened the Mavericks game playing great defense, but but like Sohan was like plastered to Luca. It was really cool to watch, mm-hmm. but as the game went on, and I think in particular, and I, I honestly I can't even blame them because I I can't see how you don't get demoralized by what Kyrie Irving was doing. Like they were, they, he wasn't like they were, he was scoring on like tough defense. The yep. stuff that he was doing up and under and around Wimbanyama was just wild to me. But there are nights where guys like that will go thermonuclear and the Spurs looked like they just, like they just kept getting hit in the gut every single possession and then when you don't shoot, like they were in on the other side of the court, like the Spurs were getting good shots. They were most of them. I haven't looked at the at the open, wide open, you know, tracking stats from last right. night, but I, just eye test. They were open a lot and they shot 25% from the three point line. Nine of 36. When when Kyrie is doing what he was doing, when Luca is doing what he did in the second half, because he came on and really started controlling the pace of the game. Uh, you have to hit shots. You have to. The Spurs only turned the ball over nine times. Like, that's yep. a great, usually a really great recipe for them. Like, they have enough to, and the, the Mavericks' defense isn't, like, that daunting, except when you're going to the rim against uh, Derek, Derek Lively. Lively. He was just swatting everything. And, you know, it, we all know the Spurs like to start inside out. Like, their goal is to get to the rim first and foremost, and they don't have the greatest shooters. And they traded their best shooter, like like easily their best shooter. So they don't – it's going to be up and down. We already expect that. But in those situations, like, you have to figure out a way to stop the bleeding. And you can tell – and, again, young team, youngest team in the league, you, yeah. this is, you expect this. When a guy like Kyrie Irving is going off, you have to be able to respond. And they just – after starting the game looking pretty crisp – yeah. They kind of seemed discombobulated a little bit. Like right. they were doing the one-on-one thing that they sometimes do when they get in a pinch. And they right. don't really have a lot of great one-on-one players. So I just think I thought it was a, a microcosm of what this season has looked like so far. Like Yeah, they're, you, they're not like super-duper equipped to mismatch hunt, mismatch hunt either. Right. You know, and so like, so, and again, you said, you mentioned talent deficit. We should also note like Toronto is a much worse team than the Dallas Mavericks. Um, totally. And, and just like, as great as Scotty Barnes is, he's not like a one-on-one problem, you know, like they have quickly, quickly wasn't very good against, uh, and he hasn't been great since he, since he got to Toronto, but um, he's probably their best one-on-one player. And I think like you can, you can tell him or RJ Barrett, maybe. Yeah. Maybe RJ Barrett, but like you could like, I think you could, um, it's justifiable to expect Devin Vassell or Jeremy Sohan to whoever's guarding quickly to, you know, stay with him, make life hard, and mm. he's not going to have a great game. 
harder to tell them to do that with Luca and Kyrie and then have them have a bad game. Like Luke, you can make Luca's life a living hell and he's still going to have a good game. Yeah. And the same with Kyrie. I will say this about I, this actually impressed me last night. Um, I counted one and I'm probably, I probably missed a, a couple, but like the, the only one stuck out in my head, uh, one moment where they bit on a Luca pump fake. Mm. And I was like, guys, good job. Get a hand in his face. Like, don't, don't jump. Yeah. Um, but there was just one play where Sohan bit on the pump fake from behind and, and fouled him. But I thought in general they did a, I forget who it was. I think it was Keldon, where Luca drove to the right block, spun back, pump faked, pump fixed. Uh, Keldon stayed down. He stepped up and under, pumped at the rim, turned back, pump faked, went back up to the rim, pump faked, and then turned and shot it. Like literally pivoted four different times before he it's hit so the shot. Great. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> give up. Yeah. Like, I stayed down, did my job, and he hits a fadeaway from from 12 feet or whatever. And there's nothing you can do about that kind of stuff. Uh-uh. Yeah. I will say one uh, one thing about the defense. Um, I, I am a noted uh, – I, I would say I am a noted Jeremy Sohan upside uh, skeptic, I guess would probably yes, be the, you are. the fairest way to say it. He's been amazing on defense and just like when he gets rolling, like cutting to the basket and everything like that on offense, like I – like again, I was very down on the uh, the, the point guard uh, experiment, but like yeah. ever, like I I would say probably ever since Trey moved into the starting lineup, like he just looks comfortable. He's able to, I, I, and it just feels like he's really able to focus on both sides of the ball. And he's just been he's been a menace on defense most nights. I feel like, especially lately, man. Like. Uh, I- there were nights like since the new year, since the turn of the new year, maybe the last like yeah. month or like last four weeks. Like he's just been, he's everywhere. Well, it's one of those things where, and pop has talked about this before, like where defense and like, we all knew about his defensive tools, right. Uh, coming into the NBA out of Baylor. Like we all, we all knew about them yep. and that was the, his strength. Um, but I, I feel like there were, there were a lot of nights where we didn't see it, where he wasn't all mm-hmm. the way locked in. Mm-hmm. not like super intense and defense like defense is just as much about energy and effort as it is you know skills and yeah. and talent and when you see these guys like locked into a challenge and he did it on back-to-back nights against Scotty mm-hmm. Barnes uh against Luka Doncic I, not even back-to-back nights he guards the best player on the other team every night uh especially if it's a wing so when you see him locked in it's you 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 see the the stuff that we saw at Baylor, the things that he was promised to be when he when he entered the NBA draft. So yeah, it, it's really cool watching him play defense when he's all the way turned up because he's really disruptive, very disruptive. And I've actually been really impressed in, over the last couple of nights of the way he's like navigating screens, getting over yeah. the top of them, uh, trailing his man and getting back like back into the play. It's it's a lot easier for him to do that when when Victor's on the floor, yeah. Because sure. because the the ball handler is going to hold up, yep. um, not quite as easy when Collins is on the floor, because he's going to be all the way back in drop coverage, and you know there's a chance for the ball handler to get downhill, and you know run away from him basically. So he's got to be 
he can't and he can't do the thing where like Luca just stops on a dime and he runs into the back of him or, yeah. or you know the best perky jerky offensive players are able to do uh, that kind of stuff that throws him off a little bit but he's learning and you can see him figuring guys out and it's fun to watch I think uh, even even think- through all the Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say because like, he had said um, how much he was, um, you know, he was just like getting in his own head with the earlier in the season with the point guard stuff and everything like that, and he was yeah. trying hard not to. And I think it would be easy for any of us to be like, well, that shouldn't affect his defense. That shouldn't affect like his confidence on defense. Totally it, does. Absolutely, it's gonna it's gonna impact everything. And so I think just he just looks more comfortable now. Like just just overall, he just looks like a more comfortable player. He's in his element. And yeah. and I also think that you can see the benefits that came from the point guard experiment. Like he's, he makes really good reads when he gets that secondary ball handler stuff or stuff out of the short roll or whatever. He's yeah. been making really nice reads, really nice passes. But lately, you're right. He's been more in his element of like the other night, I feel like he hardly even dribbled the ball. Like he was just cutting, cutting, mm-hmm. cutting um, all over the place, playing really hard defense. But like you said, moving from point guard back to his more natural position does give him a break on both right. sides of the ball. Cause right. like when he was playing point guard, he was defending point guards a lot. And now he gets to mostly go defend wings forwards. Yeah. These guys that he's more comfortable dealing with. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's comfortable dealing with the, like the big brute force kind of guys, like his numbers against LeBron James defensively over the last, you know, whatever year and a half, have yeah. been pretty excellent and you can see guys like scotty barnes who's that similar build like he's able to deal with those bigger wings and yep i just think that's it, it, it we're all we're all more comfortable when we're in our natural state and that 100%. allows us to that allows us to do things more efficiently more effectively without stressing about things too much and i think we're seeing that with jeremy sohan right now 100 percent. all right we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back all right, we're back, Trevor. Uh, you just you discovered stu- you discovered something stumbling upon um, Devin Vassell's stat I, yeah. lines. I was just curious because we were, we were talking about yeah uh, Devin Vassell's. I don't know if inconsistency is the right word. I think maybe he's just a slow starter, and that's not helpful uh, for winning basketball games for the Spurs right now because they they need him to not be. Uh, but so then I just went to his basketball reference page, and it's eerie how similar his stats are from last year to this year he is taking uh last year he took 15.7 shots this year he's taking 4.9 shots per game uh 14.9 okay yeah so his field goal his two-point field goal percentage has taken a noticeable jump he was a 48 percent uh shooter from inside the three-point line last year he's uh almost 55% this year. So that's that's great. Um, yeah. Everything else <laughs> is pretty <laughs> similar. Total point or points per game, 18.5 last year, 18.9 this year, uh, 1.5 turnovers last year, 1.5 turnovers this year, 0.4 blocks last year, 0.3 blocks this year, 1.1 steals both years, 3.6 assists last year, 3.7 assists last year, 3.9 rebounds last year, 3.7 rebounds this year. Uh, he gets to the free throw line. He's taken uh, half half a free throw more this year on average. 
And his three-point shooting, he was 39% last year. He's 37% this year on similar volume, like almost identical volume. Um, and on this, uh, basically the same minutes. He's playing 0.7 more minutes per game this season. <laughs> so, I, I mean, yes, he is consistent uh, in from, <laughs> from a certain point of view. Um, and then, like, I, you know, I, I don't think we need to go deep down into his defensive metrics, but, like, According yeah. to basketball reference, his defensive rating was 120 last year, and it's 120 this year. So, <laughs> I, you know. that is that is pretty crazy. Um, and look, you know, I think development is not linear, but right. I, I'm just very curious to see what the rest of this season looks like, and and like maybe he is who he is. I don't know. Well, I think that it's also worth pointing out that he does have what is what is the uh, usage look like? Just out of curiosity, yeah. Hang on, I just closed it, but I can get back to it. Because uh, I do think that there's uh, there's something there where he obviously is playing more games with more responsibility this year. But I am curious to see what. The so usage his is. usage last year was twenty four point four, and it's actually down a little bit to twenty three point four this year. Well, and that's Wembenyama. Yeah, that's Wembenyama. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, but I, I do think that like we're seeing him a lot more on the ball running mm-hmm. pick and rolls like he is the guy to go to um really interesting though i think the biggest development that we've seen out of devin vassell is that he's just finishing around the rim so much more effectively than he did last year and that's kind of the when you see that that's kind of why you're like man figure out a way to get there more mm-hmm. like and i do think that he is making a concerted effort to do so Especially on nights like when the when the, when his shot isn't going down, but you just you just want to see more of it. Yeah. Well, and um, I think look, if they get another, uh, and I know this will this is this will take us in uh, to what we want to talk about, but if they get another, if they get a lead ball handler who's got some dynamicism to his game, I think I yeah. still said that wrong. But yeah, um, no, you got it. Then if he's on if he's on the weak side, if he's on the second side, then that just really kind of opens a, opens things up for him to to get to the basket. Uh, quicker with more open lanes more open threes like i i mean i'm not i'm not criticizing his abilities <laughs> like he's a really yeah. good basketball player yeah. um i just think it's um well you want to you want to put him in a in a position where he can maximize his abilities like right. where he can where you can make the most out of what he's good at and if he's like right. second side guy and if you get the weak side you can get some like uh, you know, empty side pick and rolls with him, yeah. um, him and Wembenyama. There's, there's just when he's not the guy taking the high pick and roll every play. Mm-hmm. Like there are just going to be so many, so many more angles for him to work with. Not to mention yeah. more shot opportunities if the defense is collapsing. Like you know, we talked about what we talked about with the Mavs do um, mm-hmm. with Luca getting in and and the lo- the lob threat. We talked about. Um, just like how the how Wembenyama is at Collins are forced to you know step up and defend those lobs and the fact that the Spurs defense has to rotate on the backside. Well, you look at that from from a, a reverse picture, and if there is a lead guard, a lead ball handler that is capable of collapsing defenses, and then not only that, but like a rolling Wembenyama, yep. there's defenses are going to have to adjust, and on the weak Absolutely. side. There's going to be, uh, you know, the if there's a guy in the corner, they're going to lift to the wing, and there are going to be so many open shots. Mm-hmm. And then you're also dealing with like scrambling defenses. So, yep. um, 
we all we all like often talk about lead ball handlers being the uh, like the missing piece for Wembenyama, and I actually think it's for the other guys. Like, I think Wembenyama is going to be Wembenyama regardless of the archetype of point guard mm-hmm. that you have there. Like, obviously, you want better talent than a guy like Trey Young, who you know we all know what Trey Young is. We respect Trey Young, or not Trey Young. Trey I'm Jones. Sorry, Trey Jones. Uh, we're getting into the Trey Young conversation. Yeah. Um. Like, but they need more talent, more dynamicism, uh, as you said, and I think we're both saying that right. Uh. But but to me, it's the it's the the guy that you need to sort of stir the drink for the whole offense. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you're gonna have the the greater lob threat for Wembenyama when he's rolling, but like. Defenses are always going to be paying attention to Wembenyama, and Wembenyama is already showing that he can score in a total, a total variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like his post game is improving. We're starting to see this sort of freakish ability to hit pull up threes and step back threes and and uh, spin off guys and drive by guys. Like he has all of it. So yep. not totally worried about what Wembenyama like about the value of a point guard next to Wembenyama as much as I am. Uh, the value that a, a point guard like that, and we'll just say it right now, Trey Young, because he's mm-hmm. been in the conversation, what a guy like that could provide for the entire offense, not just Wimbanyama. So, Trevor, I haven't really been on the socials much over the last week or two. I've actually been on them less these days because it's just awful. Yep. But I do know that there has been a whole bunch of Trey Young to the Spurs, you know, conversation. Mm-hmm. And ever since the trade deadline, really. And then yesterday, and I didn't even know this until today, Howard Beck wrote sort of a post-mortem type of uh, trade deadline thing, but also forecasting that like this summer, there could be some blockbuster movement. And one sentence, there was one sentence in the whole article that basically just said, one exec told him, Howard Beck, that there were talks between the Spurs and the Hawks for Trey Young just before the deadline. Interesting, to say the least. Uh, this is a conversation, obviously, the Spurs needing a point guard is a, is a big topic of conversation. Yeah. When you saw that one line, you told me a little while ago that you had to like go back because you missed it the first time because you were skimming through the article. Yeah, I, I thought it was clickbait uh, on on one of the, like whether it's Legion Hoops or NBA Central or one, one of those accounts. I thought it was just like, because you know, they 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 sometimes don't keep to the spirit of the actual quote. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, it's sure sure enough. So I was just I guess I was surprised that they had talks enough that the the talks got out. You know what I mean? Like right. Because Jake Fisher, Mark Stein, and now Howard Beck have all written about their perceived interest that the Spurs would have in Trey Young, and then obviously there was the DeJounte rumor a month ago or whenever that was that the, right. the Spurs had talked to the Hawks about DeJounte as well. So I guess um, I was surprised that the talks, I guess, had gotten as far as they had. And who knows how far that actually is. Because um, it's typically when you hear this stuff, Matt, I don't know about you, but I just feel like it's um, the Spurs are so buttoned up that it's like, oh, the Spurs. I don't know. It's just like it feels like it's other execs assuming that the Spurs would be interested in this. Or like if I were the Spurs, I would be interested in this. Like. Um, so it sounds like a little more, and I, look, I trust Jake Fisher. I trust Mark Stein. I trust Howard Beck. They wouldn't just throw that stuff out there if they didn't 
if they weren't hearing well, it from credible people. Also, we we learned during the summer of the of the summer of Dejounte that mm-hmm. the Hawks are chatty. They the, are. The Hawks are chatty, and I and I know that, you know for sure that Jake is pretty tied in mm-hmm. with that organization. Um, you know there there could be there could be any number of reasons that something like this got out. It's not coming from a from a Spurs exec, that's for sure, yeah. but it could be real. And and I have uh, honestly little doubt that that there wasn't a conversation. Like, no. why why wouldn't you be testing the water on anyone if you're the Spurs? Which I'm sure they they were making plenty of calls at the deadline to see what was going on. Uh, but there there uh, there are a number of reasons. There's you know creating leverage. Like I, I think there's sort of this world almost where execs will say, well, I think. The Spurs with that crazy Wemby kid are are trying to get another all or get an all star in here to pair up right. with him, and they're going to start building this crazy team, um, bringing in as much talent as they can. So, like, if you want to either stop that from happening or come get, uh, you know, pull the rug out from under them or whatever, like maybe there's a little bit of leverage there. But I would lean more toward um, there's something there. Like they had conversations. Who knows how far they got? But like yeah. you said. You have multiple uh, credible national reporters on this and hearing yeah. this from other execs. Um, and so- from Atlanta's perspective, I think it makes complete sense that if they are thinking that it is time for a teardown, that the first thing they would want to do is say, how can we get our draft picks back for oh, the yeah. 2025, 2026, and 2027 drafts, or at least recoup some of those assets? Uh, and I, I do think that Trey Young would be the only way that um that you could do that like because well, i don't think like like there's nobody else on that roster you'd be like yeah sure take your <laughs> take this draft capital that we extracted from you and you can have it back like trey young's the only one that that would be make any sense for yeah i was gonna say like i wonder if there was a because we did hear the the Dejounte stuff and mm-hmm. i wonder if there was a point where the hawks if there um this is totally hypothetical i haven't heard anything along these lines i have i I mean, I know the Spurs like DeJounte as a person. I have doubts that they were actually like willing to give up a whole bunch to get him to bring him back. So yeah. I wonder if the Hawks were like, hey, you know, having a conversation about DeJounte and they're like, we want our picks back, though. We want at least a couple of the picks back. And the Spurs are like, mm, we're, we need more. We, we need more than DeJounte if you want to get yeah. your picks back. And then it sort of turned into, OK, well, what about Trey Young? Because like, right. here, put it like this. The Hawks are not trading Trey Young unless they're going to tear down. And if at least that's that would be my thoughts on that because I don't think right. you're going to be getting you're never for the stars and the superstars you're never going to get equal value in return. So right. you have to believe that there'd be a tear down in that situation. When it comes to the Spurs, the, the, there is no way that if you're the Hawks, you're going to tear down this summer ahead of the Cooper flag draft if you don't have your pick. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I don't think that they're going to have this conversation with the Spurs unless that if, if you know, it would obviously, unless they want players back, of course, it would yeah. obviously be more than the number one pick in 2025 like they'd probably want multiple picks of course they want multiple picks but Mm -hmm. they're not going to tear down unless they get that pick back 
Because right. if you're tearing down and you're going to tank and you're going to suck, you damn well better have your own pick so you can control it for that draft. Well, so, right. And that, uh, somebody somebody made this point on Twitter yesterday, but it was basically like, let's say they traded him to the Lakers, uh, whatever. Um, right. The, the picks that you're getting back from the team that you were trading him with are probably going to be bad picks because that team is now good, especially totally. with, how young, with how young Trey is. Um, so you want to ensure that you get good picks back. Um, there, not there's just only like, going to be, I feel if they do trade Trey Young, it's only going to be with like a couple of teams or a handful of teams because you cannot tank without a pick, without like the chance right. of getting the number one pick in the draft. You just can't. Right. right. So I guess my question that um, for you is, so Trey Young is a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands, which is fine. Yep. Um, but I think the whole idea was you get DeJounte with him. It's going to take some of the pressure off him. He'll learn to do stuff off the ball. You're do talking you about think... Wemby or Tra- oh, Trey? Trey. Trey. Got you. Got you. Do you think that that hasn't really happened because – I don't know, like, there's just too much positional overlap. There's too much uh, style overlap. Like, I guess my my question with Trey is, because I think, like, having Wemby and Sohan as your <laughs> as your back line uh, can pick up, make up for a lot of defensive inefficiencies. Right. Like, would Trey want to come to San Antonio and immediately be like, I have my lob guy and, like, like Wemby is more than just like I have my lob guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I think that's that would be like my only uh aside from I don't know I I can't even imagine what the pick what, what that costs. I guess it would, right. you'd have to you'd have to look at like the Donovan Mitchell deal and assume it's it's something in that ballpark. Well, you'd um, almost have to assume that Atlanta's going to just want all their picks back. Their stuff back, right. Plus their pick swap. Um and and then you got to make it. the contracts work. So here's my thing with with Trey Young um, and how it all sort of ties in with Wembenyama in my in my mind. Like there's no question that that Young he's an offensive ecosystem mm-hmm. in and of himself. Mm-hmm. He is uh he's super dangerous. He's a great passer. He can bend defenses in a in a super dangerous way. There's no question about any of that. Really yeah. good basketball player. But when you start getting in, there, there's almost like this comparison that people make, and understandably so, they're kind of similar type players. But they want to people want to make the Trey Young Steph Curry comparison, right? Mm-hmm. Trey Young is not Steph Curry. Trey Young is a he does a lot of the same stuff that Steph yeah. Curry does, but just much more inefficiently. Like I think you know Spurs fans see the nights where he just explodes against them. Do they the Spurs never see the eight for twenty five nights or the yeah. six for twenty nights. He shoots forty two percent from the field. He shoots thirty seven percent from three on a high volume, which is like it's okay. And he's such a threat. He's got such three point gravity that like that matters because right. he pulls so many people away from the paint. And the idea of pairing those two guys, Victor Wembanyama. And Trey Young, especially someone's always open. Someone's always going to be open. So, like, there is, there is, and and uh, for Trey Young, he's never had a guy like Victor Wembanyama who can collapse the paint and get the kickouts. And I mean, there, there's a lot to love. Plus, Trey Young is only 25 years old. 
Yeah. I, I honestly, I thought he was older than that. I, I thought that he spent more time in college, but I was obviously wrong. 25 years yeah. old. He's still really young. So any of the timeline type conversation is not even a part of this. The thing that I look at when you're building a team in a salary cap sport is like, how can I get the most productivity per dollar? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like, how can you maximize and, and, and create this optimal lineup uh, around Victor Wimbanyama? And I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here because um, we've had this conversation before. I'm not a huge Trey Young fan. I respect the hell out of him. I'm just, I've never been a huge Trey Young fan, especially mm-hmm. on, I mean, the defense is a super, is a huge liability. I, I know that we talk about Wimbanyama, but we also don't want to just like, if we're talking about defense in general, the the idea, and I'm and you look at kind of how the Spurs have been drafting in recent years, like the big long guys who yeah. uh, who can uh, defend, right. and you don't want turnstiles on the perimeter just like constantly attacking Wimbanyama. Like you, yeah. of course he can hold his own, but like you would rather there be, you know, at least some sort of resistance on the perimeter. Um. And when I say productivity per dollar, I'm also talking about like, we, we know this is Wembenyama's team. Like even if Trey Young comes over, like mm-hmm. this is Wembenyama's team. Mm-hmm. So you have this guy on a max contract who is a defensive liability, whose usage is going to go down. Um, he doesn't, he, he, throughout his career, and maybe this can change if he gets into the Spurs system, who knows? But this is a guy who, when he doesn't have the ball in his hand, he goes in the corner and spots up. He doesn't do the Steph running off of screen stuff. A lot of people right. want him to do more of that. They want right. him to be more active in an offensive system. But that's just like not – he's never been that. Once he gets rid of the ball, he kind of just runs camps to out. the corner. He, can, he camps. Camp out. Right. And that kind of stuff is like you, you want to, again, like I said – someone's going to be open on every play if those guys are on the same team. Yep. But you want someone who fits what you're trying to do around Wembenyama. And we can talk about the ability to stretch the floor out to 30 freaking feet. We can talk about his ability, his nasty ability to get out of the pick and roll and be the floater threat, be a lob threat, be a pull-up threat, whatever. He's a yep. great offensive weapon. But it's the other stuff off the ball where you're wondering, like, is he just going to be like a guy spotting up in the corner? Or is there going to be this dynamic where, where he gets the ball to Wemby and he's cutting and Wemby's looking yeah. for him or he's, he's running off of screens on the weak side or uh, coming off the baseline looking for, you know, out of floppy sets and stuff like that. Like, you just wonder about how much he's going to be willing to change his game to fit around Wembenyama. Because like I said, this is Wemby's team, man. And it's not going to be the super high usage Trey is used to and the same job that Trey is used to. And if you're paying a guy, like obviously he is a max player. Like I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. He's a max player in the NBA. Of course he is. But what happens when his role changes? Because it would in San Antonio. And you're sudden, and you're paying this guy here in a like he's already making forty five million a year, whatever it is, forty three, right. forty five million a year, and by the end of his contract, it's going to be near nearly fifty million a year. Yeah. So 
there is sort of this like and and even if they bring Trey Young over next summer, they're not going to win the championship. Like they're not ready to win the championship yet. There's a couple of years away, a few years away from Wembenyama being like maybe the best player in the league, especially once like some of these old heads retire. He's going to be incredible. But my whole thought process throughout all of this is like, is Trey Young right now like the ideal fit for Wembenyama? Like, is that style of point guard the ideal fit? Or do you want someone whose game is a little more predictable and a little more uh, less high maintenance, I should say, or lower maintenance than Trey Young? I don't know. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here because obviously mm-hmm. it would be a lot of fun to watch those guys play together. But right. it, I feel like it's a, a a real question. Yeah, I've always wondered, like, is like um, like 2018 Kyle Lowry like the ideal guy to put with Wemby because he can do some on-ball stuff, but he's also perfectly comfortable doing off-ball stuff. Like him and DeMar basically shared point guard duties in Toronto. So, like, is that the, the best archetype? Uh, of point guard to put around Wemby. I was going to ask you, I meant, I told you to remind me about Derek White earlier. Is someone like Derek oh, yeah. White, is someone like Derek White the ideal complement to Wemby at point guard, or do you need somebody more dynamic because of everyone around? Like, it's so like if you have Derek White as your point guard, are you still being like, all right, well, I still need my second scoring option. I still need my, I still need my guy who can, my second guy to take gravity and bend the, bend the offense the way we need to bend it. Well, I, I guess that is a good question. Like, do I guess what do you and we've already discussed Devin Vassell ad nauseum today? But like, like, is there a possibility that they are that they're a, a specific type of point guard away right. from making Devin Vassell a reliable second scorer? Does right. that make sense? Do, do you, does that yeah, make sense? absolutely. Yeah. Or, or is just is Devin Vassell like is his cap? a number three scorer on a championship team. And I, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that. This is, a, yeah, I feel it, like, so this is the second year in a row that he's had like the, the higher usage. Uh, obviously the, the role shifts a little bit when Wemby comes in. Yeah. Um, I guess I've always thought like somewhere between a Mikel Bridges type role and a Chris Middleton type role for him. Um, Devin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess like right now, like just because we haven't seen a bunch of uh, leaps in the playmaking and the especially the on-ball playmaking, I lean towards a more of a Mikhail Bridges type role for him. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we need to see another year of it. I don't know if like that becomes more of a focus post All Star break. Like let's get let's get this Wemby Devin two man game going a little bit more and see see what it is. Because um, I feel like when they are getting more comfortable with each other, but I feel still feel like there's like a little bit of clunkiness there. Like whenever they run a two man game or the lobs, <laughs> the lobs aren't high enough. Like I just feel mm-hmm. like Devin's still needing to remember that um, he, that uh, Wemby's like, you could throw it there. No lob is too high. I think is what he said one time. <laughs> I, yeah. He's, what do you say? It's like, I, I haven't what not one has been too high yet. Right. Yeah. I think that was like what that. he said. So it was, it was, it was a good quote. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess that's, that's the question I have because like, I do feel like, if you brought in Trey Young, Devin Vassell is going to have like all the open shots, but it's like, does he need to be more than just open shot guy? I, I mean, I think he does. It's kind of one of the 
the you know most valuable parts of his game um even with when Benyama and they're running the two-man game like you can see them getting better and better at it but like he's Devin is often playing in a crowd because that Mm -hmm. that starting group just like people are still for the most part letting Jeremy shoot um I don't Julian Champagne like has no three-point gravity somehow or he doesn't like chase space he's not he does. Yeah. He doesn't do the Doug thing where he's on the move. Like he's, it feels like he's camping, and he just doesn't get that many good looks. So right. like the the floor is crowded for that starting group. Trey Jones, they're leaving him wide open, wide open. They just don't believe he can hit a three. Um. So everything is cramped with that with that first group. Yeah. And honestly, man, like. It's going to, we're going to have to circle back on this like later on, or at least uh, around, you know, lottery time, because the Spurs are going to have potentially two top 10 draft picks. Mm -hmm. And all that's going to take place, you know, before any sort of move happens with whoever it might be around the league. I mean, you you might see some some rogue trades here and there uh between then, but I would be shocked if unless the Spurs decide like unless they reach a deal where they're like packaging picks together from this draft, like you're they're probably not going to see anything until after the draft, right? right. Or during the draft potentially. The so, two-day draft. Two day is it is it is that starting this year? I think it starts this year. Oh god. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of conversation to be had about this, and we're we're we've kind of done some spitballing here, but I do think there is this sort of fork in the road where you can see that Wembenyama's already the real deal and he is not far away from being like yeah. ready to go compete. Maybe not yeah. win titles yet, but like go compete. And so the Spurs are at this fork in the road where they don't want to get rid of all their draft picks. They never have. Right. They've got a bunch of them. So they have the ability to spend without, you know, totally emptying their cupboards. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there are some really valuable picks in there and you want to, yeah. you wonder like how willing they are to get rid of those rather than and and instead of building from within like they really like to do and take advantage through the draft um really going all in on a on a already formed superstar and biting yeah. the bullet on a contract like that and it's crazy how like Trey Young is on a maximum deal 215 million dollars over 5 years Jalen Brown just signed a contract how what 2 years later for over three hundred million dollars, yeah. like that's the new max. Like it's just nuts. It's crazy. Like it's it's wild to look at Trey Young's contract right now at forty three million, and be like, eh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> fine. It's not bad. That's really not too bad. Um, yeah. I so I'd say just like a, a final thing on the Trey thing is like I don't know if he's the ideal fit with Wemby. I think he would be a very, very good fit with Wemby. Yeah. And I guess the question is, are the Spurs okay with getting a very, very good fit? Yeah. Um, 
like I don't Not know. It's, I guess it's the, it's, I guess it's fit. I guess yeah. It's the idea of do you let perfect get in the way of great? Do you let great get in the way of good? Like those. I guess that's that's just what you, those are the things you got to weigh. Uh, see, the only thing I would say is like unless they really, unless they really really find his defense to be such a liability that they don't want to deal with it. His size mm-hmm. to be a liability. His willingness to move off the ball. Or, you know, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, like, right. do the Steph thing. Run right. off screens, like, do the the stuff that the Spurs do. You Even know, that just they a ex- little bit. Yeah, may, like, just, just, like, a little bit more. But, like, yeah. it's more about not the player himself, but, like, the player's tendencies. Yeah. And, and, like, the little areas of his game that, like, they may not really, they really might not like. Yeah. Um, and, because I don't, I think that he has the ball in his hands so much and they don't have the sort of like, of course they have guys who can roll to the rim and are, are threats in that capacity with Okongwu and, and Clint Capella when he's not hurt and, and all this stuff like they have in John Collins in the past, like they've had these now and Jalen Johnson. Now, like they have these, these role threats and these guys that really uh, make Trey young, such a dangerous player because he can kill you both with, like I said, with the floater, with the shot or with the, mm-hmm. with the lob to the rim. But like when Benyama is so much more than just that. Yes. And so you, it's just his, his skill set. It would be very cool to watch them play and he would have the offense humming, but you wonder like with all the responsibility he has in Atlanta, if, if some, a, a little bit of a load was taken off his shoulders with Wembenyama, and he's willing to move a little bit off the ball. Like, right. is he going to get better looks? Is he going to be more efficient? Because that's another thing. The efficiency is not great with Trey Young. Like, that's just part of the deal. But, but he has garnered, garnered so much defensive attention that you wonder how much, if there could be a leap in efficiency if he played next to someone like Wembenyama. Or yeah, if no, he just kind of is what he is. I don't know. But... I think this was good. I think we've yeah. talked enough for today. <laughs> yes. You got anything else to add? You got any else? Anything else on your mind? Any other notes you wanna you wanna make or take or make or whatever? Uh, no. I mean, I, look, I I think uh, if if you follow me on Twitter at all, you know, I I really enjoy the draft. Um, but I'm kind of just starting to get into who I like and who I don't like and all cool. that. Like I'm, I'm just starting to, I feel like, I feel like now is when you actually like, and again, I rely on other people's breakdowns. Um, but I feel like this is like when you are finally getting enough, enough stuff to like, actually like have takes. Yeah. Good takes. Y'all, uh, if you're Trevor has always been a draft guy. Um, if you're a draft guy or gal, you can follow him on Twitter at Trevor writes as in writing at Trevor writes, even though I don't write anymore, That's not true. for public consumption anyways. That's right. so. Um, everyone again, thanks for coming back to small market bias. If you guys would, um, it would be great if you could, uh, subscribe. If you haven't maybe rate, if you haven't maybe even review, if you haven't, we'd all, we'd all really appreciate it. I think it does help the, the algorithm and, and all that sort of nonsense, but, um trevor good to see you man good to talk to you again it's been a while as always sir yep and we'll uh we'll circle back 
here in, I guess, about two weeks. We're going to do get back on the weekly schedule, probably alternating between you and Bruno. I'd like to well, do we'll, a three-man we'll three pod it one of these days. Yeah, yeah one, one of these days. Um, just a reminder, Small Market Bias was brought to you by Bet Online. We will see you guys next time. Dive right in.